So this is, I'm going to walk you through what to expect this Christmas season on Sundays. Um, it's always a challenge. This will be my 17th Christmas series at Polaris. And it's, it's hard to find 17 different ways to package like two chapters from the Bible. How are we going to talk about a baby being born this year? So what I want to do this year is um, my only child complex will come out. This is all about me. Um, and then a byproduct, hopefully, is you benefit. Um, when I was growing up uh, in my church, my very traditional church in Maslin, Ohio, uh, there was an Advent wreath that was, gosh, I, it had to be at least five feet, like from, you know, what would that be? Is that diameter? Yeah, circumference, are you smarter than a fifth grader? Um, huge wreath that was suspended from the ceiling. And it would, it would hang like where that light is there, where the projector is. And I just looked right into the lights, can't see anything. And it would lower at the beginning of the service and you would do the reading and light it. And then it would raise and it would, it would hang there. Um, and, and as a part of, so, so now Advent has, is a part of what's called the lectionary which is an ancient, you know, well, probably not ancient, but hundreds and hundreds of years, global, worldwide, global system of readings where you work through these passages together with Christians all over the world um, through cycles so that the whole, most of the material in the Bible is covered. And, and so the, the, the lectionary has this Advent time, the, the four weeks leading up to Christmas, where you have a series of readings, each associated with the week. So it's the same reading and has been for years in this cycle at Advent. Anyway, at my church growing up, it would be time for the Advent reading. And you would hear... A reading from, and I was gone after, you know, the first couple sentences, zoned out, thinking about how many days are left till Christmas, what do I want for Christmas. Uh, in those days, in those days when I was in elementary school, the Browns still played meaningful December football. So I'd be thinking about the Browns and the, the important game that was going to be played, that whatever. I was far, far, far from the actual Advent reading, got nothing out of it. And then at the end of the reading, the pastor would say, the, the, the minister, Reverend Crooks, would say, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. And everyone would say, Amen. And that was it. But when you think about that prayer alone, may God add his blessing. Now, the Bible says that the word of God is living and active. It's like it's its own life force that's active in our life. And as it's spoken over the congregation, it has power in and of itself. And, and what he was basically praying is, God, make awesome the power of your word. And when people say amen, what it really means is yes. But it came out as, and may God and his blessing and the meaning of his word. Amen. So what I want to do is I want to do Advent this year, but I want to redeem it for myself. Like you might have gotten an awesome Advent experience. I didn't, and, and I want to redeem it. It was my own fault, okay? But I want to redeem that, and then hopefully we can all benefit from that together and learn from this amazing century-old 
tradition of Advent. So I want to redeem Advent. I have, I have a slogan. Let's make Advent great again. No, I'm... <laughs> we could make hats. Some of you, hey, Advent's always been great, buddy. I'm with Advent. No? I, I, I'm with Advent. Anyway, so... Um, yeah, let's, uh, let's go ahead and, and uh, have our first Advent reading, Scripture lectionary reading from, there you are, Grace Huntley. Isaiah t- chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, it shall come to pass in latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, Let me, let he may, that he may teach us the ways and we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word that the Lord of Jerusalem. He shall judge between nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. All right, we're off to a good start. So what I want to do is I want to talk about why what Grace just read, and good job, Grace, well done, why it matters for us today. Why is Isaiah chapter 2 relevant to Christmas? Why is it relevant to our life? And so what we need to understand about Isaiah chapter 2 is it was God's way of helping the Israelites realize that even in the midst of a strong hand of discipline, they were feeling the heavy hand of discipline for their actions. Even in the midst of that, God was still with them. God was still redeeming. God was still doing something. So if any of us are at a valley in life, any kind of valley, could be our own fault, could be that we've been wronged in some way, could be any kind of issue that makes us feel like maybe God is distant from us, we can look at Isaiah chapter 2 and realize that in the midst of that valley, there, is, there are promises from God that he is redeeming our lives. So, Let's start with the Old Testament. <coughs> Sorry, I've had like <clears throat> 47 cough drops this morning, and it's still not good enough. Um, <clears throat> the Old Testament is a story of God creating the world, and he creates human beings to walk with them, that we would walk with each other and walk with God in, in friendship forevermore. It's beautiful. But comes a point when human beings decide, as we all do regularly, 
No, God, I don't want friendship with you right now. I don't want to follow your ways right now. I want control of my own situation. And they did their own thing, and they rebelled against God. And God said, okay, you know what? You want to be on your own? Have it your way. See how it works for you. I'm going to step away. You're going to have to deal with the consequences now of a world gone wild. Oh, and you're going to have to walk through death, too, as a punishment for your rebellion. But I will redeem this whole thing. Like, that's, that's, the, that's the message of the Old Testament. Now, when we get to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah has a very clear message that repeats itself continually. It goes something like this. Here's the book of Isaiah in like a paragraph. You rejected me again. So now you're going to be punished. Nations are going to conquer you. It's a punishment. I'm going to punish them for punishing you. And then I'm going to redeem you. And we're going to walk together. And then I'm going to redeem them. And we're all going to walk together forevermore. So that's, that's Isaiah told over and over and over again within the book of Isaiah. You're going to be punished. I'm going to punish them for punishing you. I'm going to redeem you. Then I'm going to redeem them. And then we're all going to live together. God lays out his plan for humanity. And it looks like that. So that's the context of the book of Isaiah. So with that in mind... Let me read through what Grace read through again, and we'll try to appreciate it all in context so we have a good understanding of Isaiah chapter 2 and the lectionary reading for the morning. The word that Isaiah saw, Isaiah was a prophet in the Old Testament, concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Jerusalem and Judah, those are synonymous with like God's people, God's activity in the world, the presence of, of God, things like that. The word that Isaiah saw concerning Jerusalem, it shall come to pass in latter days. In other words, not now. Now you're in the thick of it. Now's a mess. But it will come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord, this was Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a city on a mountain, a city on a hill, an elevated city. And, and it was also where the temple was, the house of God. And so in, in ancient days, People looked at the capabilities of a god by the height of the mountains in that region and, and the rivers and things like that and the houses of worship. So what he's saying is, you may be nothing now to none of these nations, but in latter days it will come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the highest of the mountains, the most revered of the mountains. And it will be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations will flow to it. So he's saying that one day the nations will look to your God as the God, and they will flock in search of your God, Israel. Which was about the highest promise that you could give to people in that day and time. And many people will come saying, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. We want to be like their God. For out of Zion, that's Jerusalem, will go forth the law, 
the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations. He'll decide disputes for many people. They'll beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks, turning weapons of war that have been used against them into instruments of peace and growth. Nation will not lift up sword against nation. They'll not uh, learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come and let us walk in the light of the Lord. So this passage says that even though you are walking through the heavy hand of discipline, even though you are rock bottom, even though nobody respects you, one day people will turn to you to find God, to find hope. They'll turn to you to find a path to live this life. They'll look at your situation as the most significant, as the most admirable. This was an incredible prophecy for Israel in those days. So let me link this to Christmas real quick, and then we'll link it to your life. Isaiah 2, given hundreds of years before the time of Jesus, was an understanding of a prophecy. It was understood to be prophetic. And the Israelites waited for God to come through on that promise. The Gospels, especially the Gospel of Matthew, tells us that Jesus' birth, was the fulfillment of the Isaiah prophecy. So Isaiah was the first Christmas book, even though it was written hundreds of years before Christmas, because it told people how to find significance in Christmas. And Matthew tells us that Jesus' birth fulfilled those prophecies. So Jesus' birth is the thing that started God's process of peace. So when you look in the yard signs and see you know, peace on earth at Christmas, the lawn ornaments or the Christmas cards or the Christmas songs that talk about peace on earth. It's in reference to Isaiah chapter 2. And it's because through the lectionary and Advent, people began to associate and understand these promises of Scripture and link them with Christmas. Now, <clears throat> sorry. So what? Right? I mean, who cares? That's all nice, peace on earth. You got problems now, I got problems now. Why does any of this matter to us? Let's just say that you have, you've made some really bad decisions in life. Um, maybe you have an affair going, um, you, you're in debt and your spouse doesn't know about it. Um, leveraged, all kinds of stuff. You've made, you have some addictions. Just, you're in bad shape and you've chose some sinful things in life that have you very far from God and, and everything's a mess. Well, God wants to redeem your life. He still does. And so he comes to me and says, I have a prophetic message for you to give to you. Go find such and such at Panera and tell them this. And so I go to Panera and I see you in the booth and I say, hey, God told me that you're going to be here and I have this message for you. <clears throat> God says, you've gone too far and you're about to be disciplined. You're going to lose your house. You're going to lose your job. You're going to lose your spouse. You're going to lose your kids. 
and you're going to be living in a van down by the river. But after a season of refinement in your van down by the river, you're going to get a new job. Your wife's going to take you back or your husband's going to take you back. Your kids are going to respect you again. You're going to have a better house. And you're going to be restored and walk with Jesus closer than ever. And used by God to do great things. See you, bye. And I walk out of Panera. And you're left sitting there with that. I mean, that would probably stick with you. A few weeks later, out of the blue, you lose your job. Your spouse finds out about that stuff you got going on. Kicks you out of the house. You lost your house. You lost your spouse. Your kids don't want anything to do with you. You're an embarrassment. They don't want anything to do with you. And, and now you're in a car, and, and, you're, and you're, your car, um, let's just say the, the transmission drops out or whatever and is now unusable. You can't afford to replace it, but your parents step in and give you their van. <clears throat> you decide to go fishing to pass the time. And all four tires are flat because you're pulled onto some nails and you can't afford to fix them and you find yourself now living in a van down by the river. Rock bottom, right? But you have that prophecy. Somehow you realize God loves me enough to paint a picture for me. So that then when I find myself in this awful situation, I can at least know, hey, God's thinking about me. And if God made a series of promises that led me here, but then also promises to get me out of here, what does that give you? Hope. That gives us hope. And so when we look at this and we see God saying, yeah, I know, you guys are against me, you guys have rebelled against me, I love you, but you still don't choose me, now you're going to be punished. Get ready for the valley. But understand, on the other side of that valley is amazing hope waiting for you. Now you have something to get you through. The coming of Jesus was evidence that God intended to make good on his promise as the Redeemer. Now I want to read to you Romans 5. Because I want to make sure at a time when we always have a lot of new people from a lot of different backgrounds, and, and I don't know, even though you've been a Polaris for a while maybe and still holding on to some traditional views of being right with God and you're trying to earn your way or think about being good enough. Or many people think that maybe you've done enough bad things in life that you just there's no way that God's going to... I want you to see how the redemption of God works. This is Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by our many works... No. Since we've been justified by going to church and giving a lot of money. No. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So we stand in a relationship with God by his unmerited favor, that's grace, through what? Through faith. 
and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We know that our suffering produces endurance. So even while we suffer, it's producing redemption in our life. And then he goes on. He says, for while we were still weak or still sinners, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. The work was done, the redemptive work was done on the cross. Jesus died while we were still ungodly to pay the price for all of our sins. The redemptive work was done in full on the cross for our souls. And then it's through faith. It's saying yes to Jesus. It's committing to follow him. Turning from our selfishness. Turning from our rebellion. To walk with Jesus. The Bible associates baptism. That washing. The spiritual washing. All with saying yes to Jesus. It's all an act of faith. And through that. Our souls are redeemed. Because of Jesus. There's always hope. For your soul, for your spiritual condition, no matter how far you are, there's always hope because of Jesus. That's the first redemptive promise that I get out of Isaiah 2 that's very real for my life today. The first so what, no matter how bad a week it's been, God is still redeeming and has already redeemed my soul through Jesus. Now let me real quick point to a couple more redemptive pieces from Isaiah 2. <clears throat> he says, people will rely on God's judgments. Now, it's, a lot of times we think about judgments being a bad thing, but really the imagery is it's like they're bringing God their issues in life and he's giving them wisdom to know what to do. And the implication is that it's going well. Because of that, when Jesus came, he brought with him his way of life, his teachings, his judgments, his rights and his wrongs, and they're available to us, and they are redemptive in nature. And so you take Jesus, your messes, and you become familiar with his teachings, and you commit to following them no matter what. And God's redemption floods into your life. Now, i got to tell you, there is something to this Jesus thing. There really is. In 17 years, I have never once heard somebody say, Man, I just shouldn't have followed that teaching from Jesus. If I could just go back and undo that. Never once. On the other hand, I've had plenty of people say, I should have done it God's way. Or man, even though it didn't make sense, am I glad that I took Jesus seriously and did it his way. Going to God for his judgments. Isaiah prophesied a day when we would have access to that, and now we do. And they're redemptive in our lives. And the other thing, like we've talked about, is beating swords and spears into agricultural instruments of growth. And the concept here is that people would, would see the hope of Jesus and be inclined to take the things that normally are used for bad 
and find ways to use them for good. He paints a picture of a world that does that, and we can do that now. So we take our gossip, we take our negativity, we take our schemes, and we use those same things to find ways to lift others up. Instead of gossiping behind people's back to tear them down, we talk about people behind their back to improve their opi the opinions of others about them. Instead of scheming at work for us to get a leg up, we scheme about helping other people out. It's not about us. It's about finding ways to help other people. And so we're aware of the things, and we all have them. I definitely do. Remember when we talked a couple weeks ago about honoring everybody? I said I'm not always very good at that. But we're finding ways to honor everybody, even our enemies. Finding ways to love and bless everybody. And instead of using our words and our actions as weapons, we use them as instruments of growth in the lives of other people. That brings God's redemption not only to our world, but to our life now, Isaiah 2 is a picture of redemption. Let me close with this last, this last picture here <clears throat> from World War I. <clears throat> it's a picture from what's called the Christmas Truce of 1914. Fairly well documented. Germans fighting England in France. Trenches were dug. In those days, it was more hand-to-hand -hand combat type stuff. And they would dig trenches and hang out there and retreat there in the evenings. Chris, true story. Christmas Day broke, and then there was what was called no man's land, where it was just kind of the land in between the fighting. Christmas Day broke in 1914, and the Germans began to sing Silent Night in their own language, which was recognized by British fighters or by British soldiers who also then began to sing in their language. Before long, they ventured out of their foxholes, their trenches. They shook hands. They exchanged presents like cigarettes. They played a game of soccer together to celebrate Christmas. They took a battlefield and turned it into a celebration of the redemptive nature of Jesus' birth. Now, unfortunately, their superiors kept that to a one-day thing for them. But what they did that day was they brought Isaiah 2 to the battlefield. And we're called to bring the hope of Isaiah 2 to our life every day because we have all of those promises fulfilled now and forevermore in Jesus. So as we sing about, as, uh, as, as Marcus and the groups sing here, just want to ask you to think through Isaiah 2 and ask yourself our two questions. What's God saying? And what in my life right now can I do about it? Let's pray. God, thank you for Isaiah 2. Thank you for tipping us off helping us to interpret your activity so that as we walk through valleys, we can know you are still with us, you still love us, and your redemption is here now because we live in the Jesus time 
We're not even waiting anymore. We're waiting for his return, but we have his life to learn from. We have his lifestyle to live out. We have his death on the cross and his resurrection to give us hope and forgiveness. So let's help us to live out Isaiah 2 into really this Christmas season. Uh, Make that real for us. In Jesus' name, amen.